to reliably teach it so that Jesus is shown as great and glorious as he truly is and that each one of us are changed by your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Please do take a seat. And if you've got a Bible, then I'd be delighted if you'd look up Ruth chapter 2. There's some Bibles at the back. I can see Barry. So Barry, I don't suppose you would helpfully uh, bring some round. If anyone would like one, just show your hand in the air and Barry will bring you a Bible. Ruth chapter 2, it's page 268. Page 268, Ruth chapter 2, it comes just after Judges and just before 1 and 2 Samuel. So Ruth chapter 2, page 268, if you're in one of the church's Bibles. If you're in your own Bible, then it comes just after Judges. And just before 1 and 2 Samuel, just a short four chapters tucked in there about these remarkable women, Naomi and Ruth, and about Boaz, who we'll come across today, and then over the next few weeks we'll also meet their son, um, Obed. So Ruth chapter 2, and as I say, it's kind of all about blessing, and I've just remembered I should have informed you, we've got a blessing after the service today, of lunch for everyone, um, so if you want to stay for lunch today, please, please, please do, there's plenty of food, um, so we can be blessed by that, and bless one another in that um, today. About blessing, I think you can picture this scene, uh, you can if you're at a stage of life where you've got young children or young grandchildren, lots of noise, a big kind of barn-like warehouse, and lots of that plastic soft play material. Something like the play shed just behind Tesco's if you've ever been there. Uh, Some of you total blank expressions, I assure you you're probably not missing out. Uh, Or uh, over at the Red Hill pub, you know, off towards uh, uh, the Spitfire and uh, towards the A34 there, they've got one in the pub as well. It's amazing that, isn't it? You take your children, you feed them chips and burgers, and then the restaurant invite you to take them into a soft play area. It's just asking for trouble, isn't it? We we were at uh, the play shed yesterday, um, this big soft play area, uh, for our neighbour's child's birthday party. Great time. Thousands of children, as you can imagine, loads of noise. I tucked myself in the corner, took my earplugs, which I've started, those little ones you get on airplanes, tucked them in, cup of tea, happy days. And I was right by the under threes area, and there was a cluster of all baby girls, about five or six of these baby girls, all in um, uh, grandma's gone wild with the pink kind of clothing that baby girls wear, all fluffy and frills and like 15, I said to Hannah, why is that baby wearing like 15 skirts? She says, they're not skirts, they're petticoats, is that it? Yeah, under things, anyway, to make the skirt go outy. They look super cute. And I overheard this grandma kind of figure lean over and go, ah, bless. That's kind of how we use the word blessing, isn't it? A little bit. We kind of mean, ah, how cute. Or I was thinking about it, uh, in our society at the moment, we use the word blessing as well, maybe to cover a bit of embarrassment or fright. You know, you have one of those sneezes, which literally blows the guy's toupee off. And someone goes, oh, bless you, bless you, don't they? It's kind of a covering up a bit of embarrassment. Or we use it uh, about um, a bit of wry amazement. Your work colleague struts in boasting that for the third time she's run a red light and hasn't been caught for it. And you kind of go, she lives a blessed life, doesn't she? It kind of means she lives a lucky life, a, a charmed life. Another way we use it, the third one I could think of, you might think of others that we use it, is kind of in appreciation. You get back from a holiday that's been exceptionally good, beyond what you thought it would be, and you say, oh, it was such a blessing. 
So we use this word blessing in all sorts of ways, all of them are a relatively shallow, shallow way, don't we, in our culture at the moment. You think about it for a moment, how we use the word bless. It's kind of a bit of a catch-all used to, to, in a quite shallow way. But in the Old Testament, the older part of the Bible, which was written in Hebrew, of which Ruth is part of, the word translated into English blessing is most commonly the word baruch, which in other parts of the world is actually a name that's given to, to men. Barak comes from it in terms of the US uh, president at the moment. And that Hebrew word for blessing is rooted in a deep appreciation. It's a big word and it's a weighty word, this meaning of blessing. It's used sometimes about people blessing God. And in that context, when we bless God, it's about fully appreciating who God is. It's not that we give God anything at all in that sense. It's that we have really appreciated who God is and we want to bless him and praise him and celebrate him for that. It's rooted, you see, in appreciation. And when the Bible uses it in the other way, and it's used not just of people blessing God, but of God blessing people, it's about a bestowal of good that God gives to someone to signal an unexpected, undeserved, and excessive appreciation of who they are. That when we're told in the Bible God wants to bless us, it's not about God necessarily giving us a material benefit, but it's through whatever experience we're in, we feel deeply appreciated and valued by God. So I did a bit of a word search of this word in the Old Testament, and around two-thirds of the time, God blesses people through bringing what we might say is a good material blessing. And they are blessed by God with something good. They feel appreciated. They feel valued by God in an excessive way, an undeserved way. But at least a third of the times this word is used in the Old Testament, what God has done or what the person is experiencing is very negative and very painful. And yet through it they are blessed. Because they feel somehow through it an incredible appreciation from God. An incredible value bestowed upon them by God. Does that make sense? That it's not whether actually God is bringing what we would determine as good into our life or what we would determine as bad into our life. He works through both mechanisms. He works through poverty and plenty. He works through joy and depression. He works through pain and he works through health. And he blesses us in both because he wants us to know how much we are loved by him, appreciated by him, and valued by him. Now, I don't know about you, friends, but whether we call ourselves a Christian or not, wherever we are on a spiritual journey, whatever our life context is right now, I think all of us long to be blessed like that, don't we? All of us long to know how much God values us and to know how much God appreciates us. That is the root of this word, Baruch, blessing. Unexpected, undeserved, and excessive value and appreciation through whatever experience we are having. And Ruth chapter 2 is all about that idea of blessing. It's about seeking that blessing from God, it's about finding that blessing from God, and it's about giving that blessing away to others through what we have received from God. What's stark is Ruth chapter 2 happens in one day. In one day, and I'll read it in a moment, we'll go through it in sections in a moment, in one day, Ruth and Naomi move from hardship to hope. In one day, they move from poverty to plenty. 
There's that song we sometimes sing, just one touch of the king changes everything. And that's what Ruth and Naomi experience here. In one fast and fantastic day, everything is changed. But Ruth chapter 1, God was working over a slow and a painful decade. And I guess right at the start, I want to say to you, both of those could be your experience. God works in the Ruth chapter 1 type experience of bringing blessing. A decade, a slow and painful decade. And he works, he brings his blessing in a fast and fantastic day like Ruth chapter 2. If you feel like you're in that slow decade, don't be discouraged, I think is what I'm saying. We emphasise often the Ruth chapter 2 type experiences, don't we? Fast, furious, everything changes, everything's different. Bam, God has done it. Actually, I think God most often works in the slow and painful decades as he brings his blessing. Or actually, what I think is most often God works with both at once, doesn't he? It took the ten years of slow and pain to bring the one day which everything changed in. Let me show you Ruth chapter 2. In essence, it's four conversations about blessings that occur. Uh, Verse 1 sets the scene for us. This is what it says. So Ruth 2, sentence number 1. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. The two men's names give us uh, clues to the context here. Elimelech means God is king. That's what the name Elimelech means. He was known his husband, and it was like the flat family name. It means God is king. And the author who wrote down this story, at the beginning of each chapter, each point the story changes, he puts the name Elimelech there as a reminder that in everything, God is king. God is working. It introduced chapter 1 and the pain and the hardship of chapter 1. God is sovereign and at work. And it introduces this fast and fantastic day of blessing. God is sovereign. He's at work in both. So straight away we know that this chapter is about God working sovereignly in some way. The second man's name helps us as well. Boaz. Which I, I just think is a fantastic name. It was, it's been on my list of boys' names with all four of our boys. But the boss overruled me. Um, but Boaz is just... And Bo would be the shortened version. Bo is a good name for a boy. Anyway... I've got over it. But Boaz means, Boaz means God is strong. Or more precisely, God is the source of strength. So do you see we've got God is king, he's sovereign, he's over everything. But he's also the source of strength or the source of blessing in Boaz. And the name Boaz, you can hear it actually, can't you? The name Boaz is not translated, it's the Hebrew name Boaz. And Baruch, you hear the... The similarity, the alliteration, it's because they come from the same root. So Boaz is the source of God's blessing. He's the source of God's strength. He's a man of standing, which doesn't simply mean wealth, though it does. It means of a good reputation, of integrity. And he's a relative. And in the culture at that time, there was a system by which if you were widowed or orphaned, which would leave you very destitute and in a dangerous situation, the nearest relative of your, your dead husband could sew you into the fabric of his family, protect and provide for you. So can you see how in one sentence everything has changed? Suddenly the sovereign God has brought about the source of his blessing, Boaz, into the life of Ruth and Naomi. And then the four conversations of blessing go like this. In verses 2 and 3, the day begins with Naomi and Ruth talking and seeking blessing. Sentence 2. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, 
Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Baruch, blessing is the word there. Naomi said to her, go ahead my daughter. So she went out, entered the field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, no, 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 no. As God directed it is what we're meant to read there. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, the source of God's blessing, who was from the clan of Elimelech, who could sow her into her family. So do you see, they're seeking God's blessing, aren't they? They're pursuing God's blessing. They want his favour. The second conversation, verses 4 to 7, is between Boaz and his workers, and it confirms that Boaz is a man of blessing. Look at sentence 4. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Can you see? Boaz is a, a man of blessing. It's confirmed by his harvesters' response. Just as an aside, this is faith not in his place of worship, but in his place of work, isn't it? This is him talking directly about God and being known as a believer, not in his church, but in his, his work, in his fields. The third conversation is the long one between Boaz and Ruth in, sent- in sentences 8 to 17. And in that, Boaz, the source of God's blessing, blesses Ruth repeatedly. Look at sentence 8 and 9. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. She's blessed by Boaz, isn't she? Protection and provision. Or look at sentence 14. At mealtime, this is now lunchtime in the day, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread... When we read this on Wednesday with uh, kind of Matt and Roberta with Aaron Ian and stuff, I read that as have some bread and chips. Uh, have some dip. Chips and dip. That's what I said, didn't I? Genuinely. Yeah. Have, some, have some bread and dip. It was funny at the time. You had to be there. <laughs> have some bread and dip and dip it in the wine vinegar. It's blessed again with food by Boaz, isn't she? They'd arrived because of a famine, because of starvation at the end of chapter one. Suddenly she's being fed. She's being protected. She's being looked after. God is blessing her. <laughs> And then look at the abundance of it from verse 15. As she got up to, to glean, so lunch is over, she's going back to work in the afternoon, Boaz gave, gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until the evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it mounted to about, and then that's about 13 kilos. They reckon that's about four to six weeks worth of food for Ruth and Naomi. I mean, can you imagine a fast and fantastic day and everything has changed, hasn't it? From poverty to plenty, from hardship to hope. From, from feeling distant from God to suddenly being under Boaz, the source of God's blessing, the source of God's strength. And then the f- fourth and final conversation, sentence 18 to 22, is closes the day and it's back between Naomi and Ruth. You see the structure that the author's given here of this day, the four conversations through one day. And here Naomi blesses Boaz. Sentence 19, her mother-in-law, that's Naomi, asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? After all, she's just come back from day's work with six weeks' worth of food in her hands. Where on earth was that? 
The, ma- the ma- name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter. Can you see the, the blessing theme that runs right the way through this? That everything has changed in this day. Now I want to draw three essentials. Three essentials I want us to glean about God's blessing from this. And I think just like Ruth who set out to glean, which means just picking up the leftover bits at the beginning of the day, and yet by the end of the day had a huge weighty load of food to sustain her, I suspect if we glean these three great truths about God's blessing from this story, then we'll start by just picking up a couple of things, but we'll leave the end of today with a massive weight of God's provision, protection and understanding, his blessing on us through the best and the worst of times. Through Ruth chapter 1 experiences of hardship and bleakness, we'll feel God's blessing upon us. And through the Ruth chapter 2, fantastic and fast experiences, God's blessing upon us. So there's three things I want us to take away. The first is this, and you can mock me to be thrilled, excited and surprised to have discovered this truth this week. Because I should have probably known it, and yet I forgot it. God loves to bless us. God loves to bless us. That as we truly are reminded who God is, we will constantly and confidently come to him and ask for his blessing. God loves to bless us. I've forgotten that. But he loves and longs to bless me. The heart of Ruth chapter 2 is sentence 12. Look at it, if you will. It's actually a prayer. If you like, it's the fifth and central conversation between Boaz and God. No, uh, Ruth has just asked Boaz, why are you blessing me? And this is what he says. May the Lord repay you for what what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. See, when Boaz, who has been doing all this blessing, is asked, why are you blessing me? What does he reply? He says, I'm actually not. It's the Lord who is blessing you. Why? Because you have chosen to come under the shelter of his wings. God loves to bless. And look what Naomi says in sentence 20. She says about Boaz, the Lord bless him. But then she carries on, and in the second sentence she's now talking about God, that he there is God. God has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. That word kindness, again, is this idea of blessing. That God loves to bless. According to Naomi here, he's not just blessed through the living, but he's blessed them through even The dead, the difficulty, the pain of Ruth chapter 1. She's got to the end at this point, she can look back and say, I was blessed even in the loss of my husband and my sons that did not hinder God bestowing value and appreciation on me. That God loves to bless us. Did you see the funny little phrase in sentence 12? I wonder if it's funny to you. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. It's very poetic, isn't it? It's very nice. I did a bit of research on it. It's basically a description, a poetic description, isn't it? 
of what it means to come to God and to trust him, what we would understand as trusting Jesus. So if you're, particularly if you're not yet a Christian or you feel actually your, your closeness to God is not where you'd want it to be and you have a brain that works more poetically, this for you could be really helpful. Coming to God is like taking shelter under his wings, a protective bird over her chicks. And I researched in the Bible, it's very interesting, it basically has three, three developments, if you like, through the history of the Bible. It's first used right at the beginning in the book called Exodus, where God comes and rescues his people from slavery. And Moses, who was the human leader at the time, describes that as, as God as an eagle, and he carried them on eagles' wings. We read that in Exodus 19, right at the moment of the events, and then in Deuteronomy, when Decades later, Moses is reflecting back. He says it again. God carried us on eagles' wings. And then that image developed in particularly the Psalms, the poetry of the Old Testament, to be the invitation to come and trust in God and be part of God's family. So in places like Psalm 17 or 36 or 63, and there's half a dozen more of those Psalms, those poetries, this image of come to God, shelter under his wings, is used. But then the last and the final development of it, from God's saving act to the Bible's poetic promise of security and safety, is Jesus' beckoning fulfilment of it. Because Jesus says in Matthew 23, Luke 13, the same story, he says, oh how I long to welcome you under my wings. I long to gather you under my wings and rescue you. See, friends, God loves to bless. Even in suffering, he is blessing. And the reminder I needed, you see, and I wonder if you do, is how I perceive God. Because what we really need to do is push aside all the other perceptions of who God is we might have and allow the view of God as the Father who longs to bless you as the dominant image of God. The Father who longs and loves to bless. It's the image Jesus gives us. Jesus says, if even you, as a good father, as a bad father, sorry, would never dream of giving your child a scorpion when they ask for an egg. So imagine the blessings that come from the perfect father upon you. That's Luke 11. Or how does Jesus tell us how to pray? Do you remember it? Our creator in heaven. Our judge in heaven, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Or what about Jesus' brother James in James 1.17, who says actually all good and perfect gifts come from the father of light. How do you see God predominantly? As your loving father who longs to bless you, who longs to keep you? Or what about Paul in Ephesians 1 verse 3, when he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Is that how we see God? Or what about amazingly Paul in Romans chapter 8, sentences 14 to 17, where Paul says, Through God's Spirit you have become children of God, and you can call him Abba. Father. It means Papa. It means Daddy. Father. I massively have to be reminded through Ruth chapter 2 
that yes, God is my judge, and yes, God is my creator, and yes, God is my king, and all these are true, but he is first and foremost my father, who longs and loves to bless me. I wonder if I can illustrate it through a guy called Thomas Ken. Just out of interest, anyone know who Thomas Ken was? You'll know his influence, certainly. Thomas Ken was Bishop of Bath and Wells. He died in 1711. He died in absolute poverty. They say he had a lute and a horse was all that he had when he died. I don't even know what a lute is, but he had one of them and a horse. Uh, Because he'd given everything away. And he's most famously known because he's the author behind the chorus. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise, Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above you heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son and Holy Ghost. We know it, don't we? So he's the guy who gave us that. And it's great, isn't it? He's the guy who gave everything away so he died a pauper because what he understood that he must praise God from whom all blessings flow. He actually wrote three uh, songs, hymns, which closed with that chorus. Uh, Each one is over 20 verses long. Can you imagine? We'd still be singing if we started that one at 10.30, wouldn't we? They were designed for when you woke up in the morning. That was called Awake My Soul with the Sun and Praise the Lord of All Blessing. One for the evening before you went to bed. All praise to you, my God, tonight. And one for if you awoke in the middle of the night. Called My God, I now from sleep awake and give you all the praise. Your blessings flood my life so full. He was a man who understood, wasn't he? That God loves to bless. So that's the first thing. And I want to invite you. Uh, when was the last time you asked God to bless yourself? When was the last time you asked God to bless your home, your daughter, your husband? When was the last time you asked God to bless your work colleague or the dustman guys who pick up your trash? When was the last time you asked God to bless the church? When was the last time you asked God to bless our nation? He's a loving father who loves to bless. What's the second great truth? And the, the two and three we're going to do a little bit more quickly because if more than anything else, what I want to leave in your hearts is the reality that you have a Father in Heaven who loves you and longs to bless you. And if you've forgotten that, that's a massive reminder, isn't it? The second is this, is God loves to use us to bless. That's the second thing we learn out of this story of Ruth chapter 2. God loves to use us to bless. That as we know God truly, we will constantly look to bless others with our blessings. In this story, how does God bless Ruth? Does it come from heaven in some magical basket that floats down all golden? A couple of angels in cherubim uh, guiding it to land safely in Naomi's lap? No, not at all. God uses a person. Boaz. Boaz gives protection. And Boaz gives uh, provision. And Boaz gives abundantly more than they could ever hope. God loves to bless people through us blessing one another and blessing others. That's how it always works. God gives us a blessing and we are called to pass it on. Let me give you three examples from the New Testament of how that works. What about love? How do we love other people? How do we bless them by loving them? And remember, blessing means we make them feel massively appreciated. And an excessive feeling of feeling valued and worthy is what blessing means. Well, how do we do that with our love? Well, Jesus says, John 13, As I have loved you, you are now able to love one another. Do you see? The blessing comes from God and we give it out. Or what about with our forgiveness of forgiving one another? 
Jesus says in, in Luke 11, uh, forgive, you have forgiven us our sins, so we also will forgive everyone who sins against us. Do you see the dynamic? God forgives us and we have that blessing to give out to others. What about with our money? Paul writes 2 Corinthians 9.11 God has enriched you in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Do you see? God blesses us, perhaps with wealth or with love or forgiveness, so we can do what? Be generous on every occasion and give it out. See, God has, and this thought's been stimulated by a great quote that Jeff had last Sunday evening at our celebration, God has infinite amounts of love to give, and infinite amount of time to give, and infinite amount of money to give. The thing is, he keeps his love in our hearts, and he keeps his time in our calendars, and he keeps his money in our wallets. And so the challenge is, is are we going to be like Boaz and be ready to be a blessing to others with the blessings that we have received? So I've been thinking, who can I bless this week? Who can I help feel deeply appreciated in some way with what I've got? Do I have a few pennies spare I could give to someone? And they look at them and and it's only a few pennies, but because they've received something, their heart swells and they feel hugely blessed. Or do you have some time to have a coffee with someone who lacks conversation in the week? What a blessing that would be. Do you have some advice you could give which would literally alter someone's life? What a blessing that would be. And if you can do it anonymously, secretly, even better. Do you know why? One of the reasons in the Bible is because when we bless someone secretively, it underscores God as the ultimate source of blessing, doesn't it? Because you have no one else to thank. Over my time, Hannah and I once or twice have received a cheque in the post in God's providence just at the moment when we were starting to scrabble around and wonder if we'd make ends meet. And it's been anonymous. And do you know what we have to do at that moment? Because we have no human being to thank, we thank God infinitely more, don't we? So if you can anonymously gift someone, it's not always possible, is it? You can't anonymously give someone your time, can you? I'll have a coffee with you, but I'm not going to turn up so you don't know who it is. doesn't always work. It might if you're going to cut their grass. You know, neighbours might ring the authorities if they see a stranger getting in the shed to get the mower out. But if you can do it anonymously, it underscores God as a great provider, doesn't it? So who could you bless today in some way? Who could you bestow with good this week? And let me give you the third and the final one. So God loves to bless. He's your father. Don't forget that. God loves to bless others through us. Who could we bless this week with what God has given us? And then thirdly, God ultimately blesses us with himself. That's the third great lesson from Ruth chapter 2. That we know God fully as we know his ultimate blessing of himself in Jesus. Did you know the Bible is an incredible book? I'm sure you know that, don't you? I see one of our, let me just pull into a lay-by for a moment. We've only got a couple more minutes, but it'll help me just draw in for a second. We, we, uh, we, we, we read our kids' kind of uh, children's Bibles at night, and we also read them something called Everything a Child Should Know About God, which is a kind of, not, not a Bible story, it's a, it's a bit like a first systematic theology, really. It's super, super simple, and it just says some truths about God from the Bible. And it begins on its first page by saying, the Bible is the most amazing book in the world. And every time I read that, when we get back to that first page, which takes a couple of weeks, we start at the beginning, every time I do, the, Bible's, the boys go, no it's not, Batman's the best book in the whole world, 
or uh, whatever is in favour. Ninjago's is the best book in the whole world and all the rest of it. And then we have a long, drawn-out conversation about why the Bible might be the best book in the whole world. But actually, it is the best book in the whole world. And one of the reasons is because though it was written over a 3,000-year period, though it constitutes 66 different documents, though it was written by multiple different authors, though it's written in dozens of different genres, though it has three major languages that make it up, though it has a myriad of places and people, it is about one person, one theme, one focus and one hero, which is Jesus. And so wherever you look in the Bible, it is pointing forward to who Jesus is. Is. And if you have children in children's church this morning, you can ask them. They've looked at four different Old Testament stories this morning and how they point towards Jesus. So you can quiz your kids and learn from your kids about how stories point to Jesus. And Boaz here blazes a path to Jesus as the true source of blessing, the true Boaz, the source of God's strength. Five ways he does it. First of all, his name, the source of God's strength is what his name means. It's pointing forward, isn't it? No man alone could ever achieve that. Secondly, where he was born and lives. Boaz is from Bethlehem. The man from Bethlehem who blesses. Bethlehem itself literally means the place of plenty, the house of bread. But again, the root word for plenty is Baruch, blessing. It's the place of blessing. That's where Jesus is born, where Boaz was born. Thirdly, his action as the great redeemer. The one who brings that protection and that provision. Fourthly, his legacy. If you go to Matthew chapter 1, Boaz and Ruth are in the genealogy of Jesus. He's he's, uh, Jesus' great, 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 times a lot granddaddy. But fifthly, probably because Boaz is the one under whose wings Ruth finds shelter. Next week we're going to read the very strange situation of Ruth dressing herself up, sneaking in the middle of the night to where Boaz is asleep and tucking herself under his cape. And we're going to say, what on earth is going on there? What is going on there, amongst many other things, is in Jewish culture at the time, the men wore long tasseled gowns that were known as their wings. And as this idea of seeking shelter under God's wings had emerged and developed, one way of saying, I want your protection and I want to shelter under you, was you would go up to a Jewish man as they wore that long cloak, which at night they would sleep like a poncho tucked around them, and you would place it over your head and say, I want to come under the shadow and the protection of your wings. Ruth does that to Boaz. But Jesus is the ultimate fulfilment of that. Do you know the story in Mark chapter 5? of the woman who for 12 years had had some bleeding disorder and in a jostling, pushing crowd she manages to come up to Jesus as Jesus is walking, striding purposely forward to heal a young girl and interrupted by this woman who does what? Grabs his cloak. She's pulling it over her head. Jesus, I want to come under the shadow of your wings. Jesus, you are the fulfilment of the one who were like eagles flew and rescued us. You are the fulfillment of Boaz who offers protection and provision to Ruth. You are the source of all blessing. Jesus is God himself, the biggest blessing he gives us. So I hope something of the journey that I've been on this week, investigating this passage, discovering that though I've taught Ruth chapter 2 before, I got it entirely wrong the first time round, 
That's always humbling for a preacher. Not entirely wrong, just entirely not right, if there's a difference. I hope there is, for some of you, desperately I hope for some of you, there is the ability to clear the decks of seeing God only as creator or judge and king and realising above and beyond those categories, he is your father who loves to bless. God longs to bless you. Why are you not asking him for blessing? Why are you not asking him to bless? I hope for others of us, we can say actually God has put some of his money and some of his love and some of his time into my heart and my wallet and, and my calendar and I want to use what he's given me to bless others like Boaz did. How could you do that this week? To make someone feel valued and appreciated and a tiny thing will go so far, won't it? You know that. You know that. A short note. A Cadbury's cream egg. Do not underestimate the power of a chocolate bar. I'm serious. Not for me, it's not my thing. But I know a lady quite well who it's her thing. <laughs> and a crunchy. Hannah goes, I'm loved. I get her more than a crunchy. But you get my gist. Who can you bless this week? But maybe most important, most important of all, is will you be like Ruth to Boaz? Will you be like that lady with the bleeding disorder to Jesus? Will you say, I need to come under the shadow of your wings? I don't want to stand alone anymore. I don't want to be out here. I want to come and be under the shadow of your wings. It's an invitation to every single one of us, isn't it? But I pray for us, and then Johnny's going to lead us in a couple of songs to close. Thanks, Johnny.